This is Channel 253. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Greetings, greetings. This is Nate Bowling, host of the Nerd Farmer podcast, coming to you live from the sparkling. And thankfully, on this cold winter day, warm Moonyard Studios here in gorgeous North Tacoma. Uh, we here at Channel 253 are sponsored by Alaska Airlines and right now by Pacific Lutheran University. And today, uh, we're going to have what we're going to title a sponsored episode from PLU. But this is actually a conversation that I want to have and been wanting to have with local universities. And so uh, this is going to be a conversation about what the university to the south of my house and that a lot of my students go to is doing for the community. And so we have in studio two guests today. Uh, we have the acting president of the university, uh, Alan Belton. Yes. Okay. And then we have Julian Franco, who works in admissions. Yes, correct. Dope. Uh, could each of you kind of talk through uh, your job at the university and how you got there? You want me to start? All right. So my current role at PLU is Assistant Director of Admission for Equity and Access uh, within the Office of Admission. I started there in 2014, right after graduating. And I started off as the visit coordinator and then moved into an admission counselor role. Um, and then I think just naturally working with the pool of first-year students and my passions, um, this role was kind of created um, within our office, especially with kind of a gap needed within this. Um, so last year, they created the role of Assistant Director of Admission for Equity and Access. Uh, so I still work with five local school districts uh, near the I-5 corridor, um, as well as one out-of-state area, Nevada. Um, but a lot of my responsibilities revolve around a lot of our access-oriented programs, uh, being our Student of Color Overnight that we hold in the fall, um, our Act 6 scholarship program, as well as our um, somewhat new 253 Pill You Bound scholarship, um, which started off as kind of a 253 Born and Raised scholarship scholarship, which now extended statewide. Um, so really just kind of working toward those access, equity, diversity, inclusion initiatives and seeing how that works um, within my office of admission, because we kind of have one foot in the high school and then one foot in the college to help with that transition. And vocationally for me, given the work that I do in my population as a teacher, I'm going to ask you a lot about that. Okay. Uh, how about you? Well, Julian's going to sound much more impressive than I do, actually. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. So um, I came to PLU three and a half years ago as the uh, chief financial officer of the university. And our president left a couple of years ago now uh, to pursue a, a different presidential job. And I was asked to step in. So you referred to me as acting president. I like to refer to myself as reluctant president. <laughs> so um, I have about uh, four months left. We are actually currently in the uh, national search process to find our next president. So my day job right now is being the president of the university, which is what it sounds like. Uh, my job that I go back to is being in charge of the university's um, human resources, so hiring practices, um, our facilities, and our uh, information technology, and some other operating areas. There's Pretty, a joke okay. that I want to make about Dick Cheney. Please do. And, yeah. like, <laughs> and running your own search committee. Yeah. Like, dum da dum, I found the new president. I found it's him. me. <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting for me because uh, I've been a teacher in Tacoma schools for 13 years, mm. and I've been working at Lincoln High School for 10 years. And the story of what's happened at PLU in the time I've been at Lincoln has been really fascinating. Mm. Uh, 
I almost want to back up for the audience and kind of talk about the story of we have this small Lutheran college in the middle of Parkland, Washington, that kind of draws students either from the immediate geographic vicinity or like just straight out of the Midwest. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah. I like when I meet so so people I meet at PLU Lutes are either like like Tacoma like Parkland kids or they're from like North Dakota Minnesota yeah and so like I, you work in admissions can you talk about like what's the footprint that you all draw from uh, what's the makeup of your population yeah so we are definitely a regionally serving institution. Um, Last year's incoming class, about 50% of our incoming students came from either Pierce or King County, right? So really within that 30 to 50 mile geographic area. Um, We do do some out-of-state traveling. Um, I think we travel to about 10 or 11 um, out-of-state areas, but almost every single one of our admission counselors does also have a Washington territory. Um, I think it's kind of funny when you're talking to other admission offices and you're asking about territories where Everyone's usually saying either, you know, um, north of Seattle, south of Seattle, eastern Washington, while at PLU, I list five specific school districts. Another person lists six specific school districts um, just because we know we need to serve our local population within King and Pierce County um, and they need our assistance. And that's why we split it up so oddly. Um, but it's, it's a strategy that works for us because we're trying to serve those students. I, w- I would add just um, it's interesting because um, you talk about the history. Uh, historically, we did draw a lot from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond uh, Western Washington, our real draws are Alaska, Oregon, uh, Hawaii has mm-hmm. become a real uh, recruitment for uh, area for us, uh, Nevada and a few other states, but it's mostly Oop. Western. Yes. Sorry. So like last year, I yeah. went and did an episode of Late Night, oh, which yeah. is the like the PLU student late night talk show that's put yes. on by folks in the right. drama and theater department. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like the host is this kid, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm from Minnesota." I'm like, "Oh yeah, you are." Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could have guessed that. Yeah. It's pretty clear. <laughs> he also works for our office, if that yeah. helps out too. Cool. He's great. <laughs> So you were talking about the history of the university. Yeah. Uh, you're in a position right now where you are the uh, the president, the acting president. Yeah. What's your vision for the university? Mm. Like, I, I'm, can you talk about like what's happened under your tenure and like where do you envision it going? Oh wow, oh that's a great question. Uh, you know, uh, if you follow us in the news, one of the things you saw over the last few years that most universities are going through is enrollment decline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a huge issue for a small non uh, nonprofit higher education. Wait, can uh, we actually? Yeah. Interrogate that for a yeah, second. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about the enrollment decline yeah. issue? Because yeah. I've I've spoken to folks at Evergreen, yeah. and for yeah. a host of different reasons, they're experiencing a similar thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talk about like what enrollment decline. It's what it's obvious what it is. Yeah. But like, how is that impacting universities, yeah. and what do you think is the cause? Yeah. Well, we had to look back, so we had to use a little hindsight after I arrived to figure out what was going on. Um, if we were maybe smart 20 years ago, we would have looked at birth rates. Um, there's a national birth rate trend that actually could have told us that that we were going to see enrollment declines nationally, and we were going to see it in the period that happened about three to five years ago. And in fact, we did. So um, PLU is a great microcosm of that. We, over a decade, our enrollment went from a high of about 3,700 down to 3,100. So that's a pretty significant decline. It happened over a 10-year period. Um, you know, we're happy to say we've reversed that trend. We've got two years of enrollment increases. They're modest, that's not going to be sustainable because we can also see birth rates are showing us that in about four years, we're going to see another decline nationally. Um, and we can get into, we can unpack that a bit. I mean, there's um, there's trends that are different in Washington versus some other areas of the country that are going to impact us and others. Um, it's going to mean different availability for college education, I think, for a lot of students. It's really going to kind of change the landscape for a lot of students, particularly, I think, in this region. Yeah. I'm, I'm 39, and so the 14-year-old I don't have uh, <laughs> would be, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> good math. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you have an opportunity right now to helm a university that's been a part of our community for like 100 yeah. years. Yep. Where, where are you trying to take it? Yeah. Well, um, I like to look back and understand the story of the place before I look forward. And so that's I spent a good year trying to do that. Um, if you looked at PLU, and I think this really kind of connects to what you said about, you know, understanding PLU as this kind of place where students come from the backyard and then they come from the Midwest. 30 years ago, um, PLU was a very white Midwest Lutheran university. Right. Um, I think at the time, if you looked at the percentage of our students who were white Lutheran, it was more than 50 percent. Um, the percent of Lutherans coming into the freshman class this year is 6 percent. Um, compare that to 30 years ago, how, how there was a lack of diversity on campus. Uh, our freshman class this last year, 43 percent first in family, 40 mm. percent students of color. And when you share those numbers about PLU, people think, no, that you're talking about a different university. That's the reality of the community we live in. So if I have one goal, it's the university, not just its student body, but its staff and its faculty and its administrators reflect the community in a way we haven't in the past. And as you might imagine, there's a huge lag between what our students look like today, what our faculty look like, and it just gets worse and worse quite frankly, as you go up the sure. food chain. yeah. Uh, so you all talk about equity, and, and your yep. wheelhouse is equity for mm -hmm. admissions. And I have a friend named Val Brown who I adore. And Val Brown talks about how, like, in education right now, equity is like coconut water. Mm -hmm. Like, it's everybody has oh, everybody. equity, equity, yeah. equity, mm -hmm. equity, equity, equity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, that work isn't yeah. always matching up with that talk. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what you do as far as, like, admissions go in order to create a more equal environment? Yeah. Oh, gosh. How do I say this in like a sweet three minutes, right? Because it, well, there's a lot of work to do. Because, it's a podcast, baby. Yeah, you got yeah, time. You got yeah. time. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's a broken system, yeah. right? And I don't think one person can go in and within my five years of working in it, understand everything that I need to do and fix it, right? Nodding um, in agreement for the record, yeah. by the way. Nodding in agreement. <laughs> I would say hmm, the big thing looking at equity, I first look at us being a private institution and our immediate obstacles with equity. Um, being a private institution with our sticker price, right, with private schools prior to scholarships is terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that to make it accessible, yes, we do work with the FAFSA, the WASFA, right, using state and federal grants to assist our students. Um, but a lot of it is academic scholarships. Um, so one thing that I found out in my job is to really fix that gap in equity, we need to start working on early outreach and working with these middle schoolers and working with freshmen and sophomores and having them understand um, this system of private schools, this is how it works to be able to make it accessible. Um, students in your positions, if you academically excel, um, this could be a cheaper option for you. Um, I was lucky enough to have mentors when I was uh, going through high school, being a first-generation student myself, um, and kind of understanding that an A was a dollar sign, and that was how I was going to afford college. Um, I was lucky enough where a private school was my cheapest option. Oh, um, I just make a note really fast for tomorrow in class: an A is a dollar sign. Yes. <laughs> noted. Noted. It Continue, is. Please. Yeah, That's it great. truly yeah. is. Um, like my full-time job was to be a student, um, even though I still had to work part-time. Right, the struggles of being a student, trying to afford it. Right, there are additional costs on top of tuition, um, but early outreach is huge for our students. I think the most heartbreaking thing for me is when I hear a student and I think their story is um, compelling, but their narrative is needed on our campus. And when I find out that, yes, they're admissible and I can advocate for them, but just how the system is, financially, we probably aren't the best fit. I'm really honest with them because I don't want to put them in a, in a tough position, right? I think there's also ethics within admission. Mm -hmm. um, and as they're a 17-year-old and I'm saying, 
PLU is probably not the best choice for you right now, right? And then we enter the conversation of, do we want to have a route where PLU becomes an option for you later on, or do we just need to look at other options in the area? Uh, because being in Washington, we have a ton of options for students to pursue a post-secondary education. Um, but yeah, so early outreach with inequity, I think with college, it's such a game sometimes, sure. right? Mm -hmm. Students don't really know that they can advocate for themselves within the process, right? That there is actually a human body behind the scenes that's reading that application and the one that is looking at scholarship opportunities and the one that can seek community scholarships that they might be aware of. Um, I work with five school districts, as I said. I've worked with pretty much the same five school districts um, since I started. Uh, so I know what community scholarships come in. Um, and if you have a relationship with me in a sense, right? I can be able to get to know who you are as a person and be able to connect you with different scholarships that I'm aware of, right? Uh, shout out to, I believe it's like the Pierce County Nursing Association, mm -hmm. right? Um, they give out a scholarship for students who live in Pierce County um, or are planning to attend a nursing school in Pierce County. We are that nursing school in Pierce County, mm -hmm. right? So I push that onto all of my students. Um, that I'm, that I'm meeting and that I'm engaging with. Um, but some students just don't know that they can talk to someone, um, that I'm not just this keeper with two stamps, one that says admit and one that says decline, right? I'm here to help them through that transition. Um, so I think humanizing the admission process is also part of that equity work. So one of the things that I've seen happen with students, and it's a frustration for me is, is so I, my class is hard, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And like in general, like if, student, if a student can navigate my class and deal with my nonsense uh, in their senior year, then they can handle, handle the rigors of college. Right. Uh, but when they get to college, there's a moment and a feeling of cultural isolation. Mm -hmm. And so like for folks who are listening to the show right now, uh, you may have read my past writing about our alumni support tour. Mm -hmm. And so like for your all's benefit, we do a thing basically where we actually uh, get in a car and do a road trip and visit our students. Oh, that's awesome. So we go visit our first generation college students who are in uh, Ellensburg, mm -hmm. who are in Pullman, who are in mm -hmm. Spokane, and spend a weekend kind of visiting with them. Wow. Uh, what kind of support services do you have for first-generation college students? Because mm -hmm. what happens that I see yeah. is is that they get into the school because they have the chops to get in there. They belong yeah. there. Yeah. But then once they get there, uh, there's a sense of, I can't do this, and imposter syndrome kicks in, mm -hmm. and like the, the wheels come off the wagon. Mm -hmm. So the first one that comes to mind is, so we have some themed halls within our residential life, and um, one of our buildings is called the DJS Wing, or the Diversity, Justice, and Sustainability Wing. Um, and students and faculty and staff all came together to, to kind of brainstorm what that meant in a sense of what themes could be within this building. Um, and within it, um, it was selected as a student of color wing, an opt-in student of color wing, mm -hmm. an opt-in first in the family wing, um, and also an opt-in environmental and social justice wing. Um, and I talk a lot about our opt-in first in the family wing for students because I wish I had that option as a graduating senior looking at housing options. Um, I kind of frame it as, looking at first and family students, these are students who want to be successful but just don't know what questions to ask, right? And they're A-OK -okay with a fire hose being shot at them with water, <laughs> and they're going to collect as much water as they can because they want that fire hose, mm -hmm. right? They don't want to miss out on um, ways for scholarships, ways to get advising, ways to get jobs. Um, so... Yeah, I say opt into that first in the family wing, right? You are kind of in community and you're reframing the idea of a first generation student um, being behind, right? And instead saying we're first generation students and yeah, we just don't know the questions to ask, um, but that doesn't mean that we're not capable, right? We just need to have the resources to make sure that we can uh, keep up. Um, also this year we have um, this course, it's a one credit course offered for first generation students called Plus 100, it's Transitions to PLU. Um, I was really lucky enough to be one of the instructors this year. Uh, so myself and Pastor Jen Rood, who's on our campus, uh, we co-taught a class of about 16 students um, who all identified as first in the family 
and we just got to in a group almost got to extend the orientation process um, and it wasn't quite hand-holding it was more so we want to set you up for success in the um in the study environments that you're about to be in, right? In the classroom environments, because it's different than high school, right? In the social environments that you're going to be in, and the new financial environments, because you're collecting debt now. What does that look like, right? For this year, for four years. Um, and also just the transitions of what what's with the world, right? Like what's actually happening. Um, it was tough because it was only an hour long about each week, right? So only so much can happen. Um, but I think it's awesome that we do have that extra step. It's the first time that we've kind of uh, pointed it toward first-generation students. Um, and I'm excited to see where the planning goes with it. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Uh, I mean, you pointed out, Nate, um, when students get there, it's how, how do they persist mm-hmm. and how do we enable that? Um, university is just like any other system. You know, it's, um, we've got a long history, I think, of higher ed in this country being very elitist quite frankly, especially in the private side. Um, PLU, I think, got smart years and years ago because of the mission of the university was education for all. I mean, that's what Martin Luther was all about, right? Education for the masses. Uh, The problem is we were attracting students um, from our backyard, which means we're attracting large numbers of first and family. We're attracting, you know, everything I shared earlier. Um, what we, where we have failed, quite frankly, is setting, changing the system from within to make sure we're supporting them. So you're hearing from Julian some of those small things that we're doing. Uh, there's a lot of work to do. I mean, mm-hmm. everything from hiring practices. So um, we are known as a as a kind of a lily white university historically, and sure. so how do you attract? Um, faculty members who reflect the students who are coming in. Well, so this is where I wanted to go yeah, next. Good, because, good. So, so for me, teacher yeah. diversity is a really big deal. Yeah. Like we have a system in America and listeners heard this before yep. where like basically in K-12, 80% of teachers are female yep. and 80% are white. Yep. Roughly. Yeah. And those Venn diagrams overlap a lot for very yes. obvious reasons. We have a school population coming through K-12 schools where the majority of kids in lower grades are students of color. That's right. And if you go into like kindergarten and pre-K, it's like a super majority because, frankly, white kids are in private schools and other places. Uh, How is your faculty being led to navigate the transition that's happening demographically on campus? Because the needs of students – the the needs of the students are changing because they're non-traditional Lutheran college students. And that's where we have the biggest disconnect. So let me um, – I love numbers because I'm the CFO, so let me just share. Um, you know, we're really proud of our um, of our persistence rate. So freshman to sophomore, our retention rates are really strong at the university. But they're on average about 10 percent or 10 points lower for students of color, yeah. right? And that, um, that doesn't sound horrible in and of itself until you disaggregate it. Well, but it's right? good for you that you know the data. Yeah, I, yeah, I could right? sit down here with folks from a lot of schools and they wouldn't have they that wouldn't data have at the fingertips. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I look at um, – particularly black students at PLU. So we're attracting black students. We're attracting Hispanic, Latina, Latinx students. Um, But our black students' four-year graduation rate is half of what it is for a white student, right? So that's not being driven by the fact that they get there and they can't afford it. We've tried to make it affordable, right? We're offering the right courses. We're doing the right things. However, if you are a student of color and you're looking at every single faculty member being a white male or female, um, who, do you, who do you relate to? How do you connect? And uh, historically, we haven't done that. So um, some of the things we've done just in the last few years is to say we are going to have a policy by where which if we have a pool of candidates for a faculty position, a tenured position, and that pool does not represent our community, we will fail the search and start over. Hmm. And that was a huge change for the mentality of the university to say, um, you know, we would get down to a point where we have a candidate of 10 great potential faculty members in biology, and we have maybe four of those fac- four of those potential faculty members are persons of color, but we could not as a university get them over the line. 
We could not attract them to the university. And that wasn't a failure of the school not being attractive enough. It was the, the intelligence of those individuals to say, if I go to PLU, I'm going to be that one person yep. that students of color feel comfortable talking to. I'm going to become it for them. And I don't know if I'm ready for that kind of responsibility, right? Um, so we've tried to change that. Um, through a lot of this work and uh, the plus 100 and other stuff, but hiring practices, setting up systems within the university to allow for groups like the collective, which we haven't mm -hmm. talked about, which is an organic group of students of color who created an organization without real leadership. It's meant to be non-structured, but to, to demand changes at the university. That group has actually risen, I think, in the eyes of the university to a level that I meet with them monthly. They are represented at our board meetings, and they are, they are able to express to a board, which is less diverse, right, than even the faculty and the administration, that they are the future of the institution. They're, they're the future of higher education. If we don't meet them where they are, we're all going to fail. Um, the enrollment declines, those are going to continue, yeah. right? Um, we saw in the last, what, two years, we saw a 60% growth in freshmen, uh, incoming freshmen who, were, who considered themselves Hispanic. Um, we have seen, as I mentioned, this trend of first-gen and persons of color at PLU representing higher and higher percentage. Um, our projection right now is that for the, the fall class, the incoming class of 2021, will be the first time in PLU's 100, at that point, 130-year history, where white students will be the minority of freshmen. So think on that. If we don't actually prepare ourselves systemically to deal with the students that we are trying to serve, we will fail. So, you know, if we don't see an improvement in that half the graduation rate, um, what does that mean we're doing? We're not serving our mission. We're, we're, we're attracting students. We're taking all of Julian's hard work. We're getting students in the door and we're letting them leave with debt and not an education. I, I have to say, like, it's bold of you to own that. There's, there's a lot of yeah. – so, so a, a lot of folks want to drink that equity tea but not do that equity work. Yeah. And it's actually refreshing to hear, like, how much you're wading into this work and the work that has to be done. Good. All right. So we're going to take a break here. Great. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about, like, your plans for the future. And also we're going to talk about some of the programs. And if you're a student of mine that's listening right now, uh, we're going to – I'm going to talk directly to you in a minute. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 sister podcast, We Art Tacoma. How do you balance changing the world with paying the bills? Thanks to a new program at Pacific Lutheran University, you may not have to. Let me tell you about the PLU Pledge. Here's the pledge PLU makes to new undergraduate students. If, after you graduate, you have a full-time job and you make less than $40,000 per year, PLU will help you make your student loan payments. Got that? If you want to pursue your passion in, let's say, music, or if you want to fight to make the world a better place through nonprofit work, but your paycheck just isn't where it needs to be yet, PLU will step in and help. It's one way that PLU invests in its students, even after they've left campus, and one of the many reasons PLU works to be accessible and affordable for all students. Check out plu.edu slash plupledge to learn more because student debt shouldn't stand in the way of following your passion. And we're back. Uh, you just heard an ad for the PLU Pledge. And uh, it's funny, I have a listener who's a coworker of mine named Jake Clausen. Uh, he listened to the show, and like when he heard that ad the first time, he's like, are you serious? Can you explain what the PLU Pledge is? Because it's something that I haven't heard of the places. Uh, so just, again, owning my job, 
I'm a high school teacher who advises seniors. And so I have students at basically every major university in the state and most community colleges in the region. And I've never heard of anything like the PLU Pledge until I heard about it, frankly, on a commercial. So Mm -hmm. please. Yeah, so the PLU Pledge, it's a loan repayment assistance program that we offer to our incoming first-year students. Um, That's really mission-driven. and very much so kind of the core to being at a Lutheran school, especially our emphasis within vocation um, and reframing what vocation is. Uh, lots of high school students are trying to figure out, um, does vocation mean the job that I want to pursue, right? And at PLU, we're hoping in those four years, it's really reframing it to um, how my talents can contribute to the gaps within the society. Um, and filling those gaps sometimes comes with lots of dollar signs or not as many dollar signs. Um, But within our mission, we still want those gaps to be filled. So the PLU Pledge, it's a loan repayment assistance program where it says after graduating from PLU, um, if you are in the position where you're working full time and you are making less than $43,000 per year, uh, PLU will assist you by reimbursing your loans in part or in full um, until one, you're making over $43,000 per year or two, your loans are repaid. Um, So we want our students to be really pursuing what they want to do um, versus just saying, I need to get a job that makes a lot of money. That's wild. Yeah. That's, that's honestly wild. I really love that program. When it, when it was um, brought to me by our enrollment team, um, one of the questions was, you know, how do we afford this? Um, because what, the way this works is we're not charging the students for this insurance. We're paying for it. Mm-hmm. So when a, when a student comes to pill you and they make their deposit and they enroll, we actually dole out about $900 per student to cover them um, so that we can make this happen. And what Julian was alluding to is, you know, you know a lot of 18-year-olds, you, you must know this um, being a high school teacher who think they know what they want to do with their lives. Bruh, right? let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other episode. <laughs> They get to university. Um, the idea of a university when you're 18 is to find yourself, right? Figure out where do you fit in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I, um, my wife experienced this. She's a PLU grad. She went to PLU to get a business degree. Um, she hated it. She hated having a business degree. It wasn't her purpose in life. She's now a, a paraeducator for special needs preschoolers. God bless um, her. Right? And so she's doing this hard work. Well, you and I both know our teachers don't get paid enough. So that business degree had big dollar signs behind it, right? Um, a paraeducator for special needs preschoolers, not so much. If she had had the PLU pledge, she wouldn't have to worry about making that decision, hmm. right? And that's what this was all about is a student can come with high expectations of getting a degree that pays a lot of money when they get out of school, and many of them do. But what if they want to go into social work? And they're not going to make the big bucks, and now they've got student debt. This was a way to deal with that. So it was kind of a slam dunk for me to sign off on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, you're, you're right. We are the first ones to do it for undergraduates, and we're the first ones in um, not just the state of Washington, but pretty much the entire Northwest to do it on a broad scale. Mm-hmm. That's dope. Uh, Julian, in segment one, you talked about the AXIC scholarship. Yes. Mm-hmm. Could you explain to the audience? Because so, again, I, I advise seniors. I'm very familiar with the AXIC process. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the At Six award ceremony is going to be at Urban Grace coming yes. really soon. Yeah. So what is the AXIC scholarship really fast? Yes. First off, all you Lincoln Abes better apply for the AXIC scholarship. <laughs> Facts. Interested. Facts. Yes. Uh, so the AXIC scholarship, it's a... Uh, it's somewhat of a local initiative. It's an urban leadership scholarship where there's five um, partner private schools in Washington. So it's us, Whitworth, Gonzaga, Northwest, and now St. Martin's, um, where we already talked about how private schools were, are kind of inaccessible, were and are kind of inaccessible um, financially and getting students from our local area, right, the King, Pierce, and some parts of Thurston, um, 
actually coming to these schools. Um, so I think at the core, Act6 came and said, all right, we want our students from this area to actually still attend these private institutions within our community, within our state. We want them to get this stellar education um, and then come back to their communities and use that to change, right, to be agents of change. Um, so PLU's been a partner for quite a while. We yep. bring in seven different scholars every single year. Um, we're actually really excited. Um, in the month of February, right, we're bringing in um, 20 students um, that we're considering for the scholarship and getting to see, um, one, how they fit in at PLU, right, what their aspirations are, um, and if they fit our mission as AXIC scholars, but also just as students, right, because they've all been admitted to our university. And too. how much does the AXIC cover? Um, the AXIC covers uh, either full tuition or full need, depending on uh, their FAFSA or their WASFA applications. Yeah. Well, I, you want to get your students excited, too. One of the things that I love about our AXIC scholars when they get there, they end up becoming campus leaders. Mm -hmm. So our, pres our student body president last, uh, last year was an AXIC scholar. Um, the individual who started the collective on our campus was an AXIC leader. I mean, they're, they're just an amazing group of students. Well, and so an interesting thing about AXIC is, is that so the colleges you named are all religious colleges, mm -hmm. and but there's a— there's there's a continuum of religiosity. Yes. Right. <laughs> and so my observation is, is that like Northwest is on the like religious, religious, like evangelical Christian scale. And then that you all are a Lutheran university that has Lutheran principles. But you mentioned earlier yeah. on what percentage of Lutheran coming in this year? Six percent. Six percent. Yeah. That's actually where I'm going to go next. Yeah. Uh, it's 2019. Mm -hmm. What is the role for a Lutheran college in 2019? Wow in serving a community that doesn't look like it? Like, yeah. how how are you trying to put roots in the community and trying to bring the community to campus? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know anything about Lutheran higher education when I took the job. I'll be honest, yeah. right? I mean, I, I took a job in the finance department as a CFO, <laughs> right? So that really wasn't an issue for me. Yeah. Um, the first time I had an answer, I had a, a student visit with his family and asked me the question, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the middle name. And that's not uncommon in this region. We are the most un, um, unchurched area of the country. It's called the Nun Zone, right? And it's actually a PLU professor who wrote that book years ago about the Nun Zone. So, um, but if you step back into the deep roots of what Lutheran higher education is all about, it is about education for all. And it's critical questioning and bringing your whole self. And actually, Julian does a really good top job talking about this, so I probably shouldn't be the one talking. But that's the one thing I really appreciate, appreciate about the institution is we want you to come with your built-in ideas, your faith, your culture, whatever it is, and we want you to feel free to talk about it. But not only talk about it, question your own beliefs, question others' beliefs, and hopefully when you leave, you actually feel stronger in what you believe coming in because you've been able to challenge it. Mm -hmm. You've been able to bounce your ideas and your beliefs off of others. Um, that actually resonates with current generations probably more than it did you know, back in the 1800s when PLU was, was founded because it was homogenous at the time, right? I can almost guarantee you that first class of PLU included no students of color, yep. right? Um, so today, what I really love about the campus is you get all these groups coming in together, um, not, not concerned about the middle name. Because once they visit campus, they realize that's what it's all about. And you're absolutely right. There is a spectrum of institutions, right? And um, PLU finds itself more on the progressive end of that spectrum these days. And I think that's a really good place for us to be. Again, it's reflective of our community. I know when I'm talking to students and they're worried about the middle name. Yeah. 
Um, I talk about percentages. I talk about kind of our changing demographic. Um, and I, I always use the quote from Martin Luther where it's, uh, the more perspectives you know, the closer you are to the truth. Uh, so I always say if Martin Luther were looking down at PLU, he'd be so happy there aren't as many Lutherans anymore. <laughs> yeah. um, because right. we'd only have a Lutheran opinion, right? Yeah. I think in the classrooms, uh, we have to have disagreements because disagreements is where your opinions are shaped, beliefs are made, and then history begins to write itself, right? Because we're currently studying books that were made a hell of a long time ago, right? Written by privilege, often white males, right? Um, and in our classrooms, they're looking different at PLU, right? And they are contributing to that and questioning uh, who is writing history, what, who is this history actually targeting, right? Um, so yeah, the classrooms are different. There's no there's no concept of groupthink anymore, right? Of anything, people are leaving. Sometimes a bit angered um, mm-hmm. when people ask me about PLU students, like what's so special about them, or like what, what happens when they leave our university. And I say, actually, when they graduate, I think they're a bit angry about the world, and I think that's okay. That means they're paying um, attention. Yeah, yeah, healthy, right. Yeah. And I think because yeah. they know that there's something that's needed, and they're actually going to use this education that they received, and they're going to start using that education to change it. Right? They know they don't want to settle for what's actually been going on or what they learned about in the classroom. So in the local civic conversation, mm-hmm. uh, that purple school downtown kind of dominates our discourse. <laughs> uh, and I don't think a lot of folks are really informed about the programs you have out in yeah. Parkland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the nursing program right. earlier earlier, right. earlier on. Uh, what are the programs that first-generation mm-hmm. college students are flocking to at PLU? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Do you know the answer to this? I don't know the yeah. question. Oh, at least data-wise, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I, it does work I, fine, too. No, safe I, space. I actually kind of do. So the things that seem to attract our students the most, um, and that includes first-gen, and, and there's one area where um, they diverge a little bit from the rest of the group. And so we find that our professional schools are really popular, right? And that's, again, that 18-year-old mentality of I, I want to make some money when I get done. Mm-hmm. So School of Nursing is a big one. School of Business is another. One that doesn't get talked about a lot is uh, School of Kinesiology. Mm-hmm. Um, that's generally our third most popular program. You're going to have to define yeah, kinesiology can, for the audience, please. So, okay, you. so for high school? And actually define it for Doug, too. Right, okay, so Doug's <laughs> shaking his head outside there. Okay, so kinesiology to me, and, and I'm going to offend a lot of people, is a fancy way of saying physical education, mm-hmm. right? Your PE teachers in the high schools are probably kins majors. Um, uh, we tend to pair them with education, so they tend to come out with both degrees, a degree in education, a degree in kinesiology. It also leads to things like physical therapy and some other things. So that's a really popular one. And then our um, Department of Education, uh, we produce a lot of great teachers. Um, you know, there's no bones about it. So those are some high- highlighted programs. One of the things that I love, and this is not just PLU, this is mo- almost any small private institution, is the ability to double major or, or even double minor um, to, to kind of make your own degree. So um, we tend to get a lot of first-gen students who want to add political science um, or some kind of international study. And we ha- you know, 50% of our students will study abroad while they're here. So that seems to be a real draw. Um, one of the things that we don't talk a lot about is an individualized major. I think that is the wave of the future, particularly for first-gen um, and, quite frankly, just the current generation of students. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not looking for, I want a specific laid-out degree for me. I, I want that business degree. No, they want to create something themselves. Mm-hmm. So we have an individualized major where you can actually work with a faculty member to define what your major is. The faculty member will help and the advisor will help you put together the coursework you need over four years to create it. And when you leave PLU, you've defined your own degree. I want to go back to faculty. You yeah. mentioned faculty a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of your faculty, Professor uh, Amy Young yeah. um, mm-hmm. is a past guest on the show, oh, occupied this chair, and I spent the entire time going, wow, that's wild. Like, <laughs> her comms program is amazing. I'd, yep. I'd like to audit that one day. Yep. Uh, so you've kind of laid out how you're artfully navigating the demographic shifts, mm-hmm. shifts that your campus is undergoing, mm-hmm. and you're shifting your 
your facilities and, and your programs in order yeah. to cater to these new generation of students. Yeah. Uh, what kind of work are you doing with your faculty in yeah. order to get them? Because uh, obviously mm-hmm. you're on board with this equity yeah. inclusion Absolutely. in this new population. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How are you developing your faculty in the same way? Yeah, so it can't be lip service. And so when uh, Jillian talked about the plus 100, which is for students, so we, we get a students are, that come and they have a particular group they identify with, identify with. we want to help them uh, kind of figure out how they navigate their time at the university. We're now realizing we're a few years into this. We have to do the same with faculty. Mm. So think about your average faculty. And we, you know, we have, what, 260 or so faculty members. So some of those faculty members have been there for 20 years. So that's a whole different target group than a faculty member who's joined us in the last five years in terms of their ability to understand DNI work. So we've actually now started an onboarding process by which all of our all of our incoming faculty and staff go through training. So we do inclusivity training, we do some DNI training. We kind of define what it means at PLU. What does diversity mean at PLU? How do you how do you handle those microaggressions in a classroom? Mm-hmm. How do you avoid them as a faculty member? Um, and again, that conversation with somebody who's been there twenty years is very different than somebody who's sure. like right twenty five years old, fresh out of college, or or maybe twenty eight, twenty nine, just got their PhD and is teaching. Um, one of the, and this is where I think the beauty of, of the work we're doing comes through. So I mentioned the collective, which is this group of students that formed a few years ago to kind of p- help push us along. I kind of demand change at the university. So one of the things I've realized is that when I meet with them monthly, they're not learning anything from me. I'm actually learning from them. And one of the things they presented to me recently was what happens after the onboarding, mm. Right. So that's great. Uh, somebody comes and joins our faculty and they learn what DNI is at, at, at PLU and what it means and how they should behave in the classroom. Do we check in on them six months, a year, two years down the road to see that they still get it or that they've been given the tools they need, right, to have a more diverse classroom space? Um, and no, we weren't doing that. So that's one of the things we're doing is rolling out some new training that will be required by all of our faculty members over time so that we're refreshing. Um, then the other piece of that is it can't just be faculty. Our students aren't just interacting with faculty. Mm-hmm. They're interacting with custodians. They're interacting with grounds crew. They're interacting with Julian. I mean, they're, um, we are in many ways kind of a small city. Um, so we have parks and we have, you know, long-term hotel, right? Our residence <laughs> halls, you know? That's um, a funny way to frame yeah, it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's <true>. yeah. <laughs> it is. It's like an extended stay place, right? Um, we have restaurants on campus. And so, um, you know, you're talking about 900 people who are interacting with 3,000 students. Everybody should have the capacity to be able to understand uh, today's student in ways that we never asked ourselves to do even five years ago. There's one more population I think about that you all interface with, and it's given like your proximity to the base. Yeah. And so I'm somebody who is a military veteran, went through college, has been a teacher for 13 years. Uh, what kind of relationships and supports do you have for people exiting the military or currently enrolled? And how are you help, how, how do you help them navigate that transition from service into higher ed? I'm going to start by saying if you, if you ever decide to leave the school district, we'd take you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have like the perfect background for people. Do you want to handle any of this? You want me to? Yeah, so um, we can tag team. I'll yeah, start. Okay. I'll you start. start. Uh, so within our division of enrollment services, um, we actually have um, kind of a branch out of our. Um, I'm forgetting the, the actual the the name of it, but. Um, Michael Farnham is our director of military outreach, um, and he has a vet corps navigator, right, working within his office to to support um, both incoming prospective uh, students transitioning out of the military, um, and also family members affiliated with the military, uh, maybe not coming from the Northwest or having to understand um, kind of the transition from coming to base or base life, and then now being either on campus or commuting from the local area because it is within commuting distance. Um, and he 
recruits with us too. He actually used to be in our space. Now he has his own space to make sure that they have a comfortable area also to hang out um, and find community together. Um, and that space was actually created last year. Um, but we work really closely with them, right? So they are connected under us, uh, not under us, um, under the Division of Enrollment Services. So that's us, uh, Student Financial Services. Uh, so within that's financial aid, that's academic advising too, and then military support. Um, so we want to make sure that they're assisted kind of all throughout the phases of uh, both being prospective students, current students, and then after graduating too. Yeah. That's also, you know, that's an area where um, hiring for us has been a lot easier. So when you talk about, um, you know, trying to hire to support students of color, one of the things the university has done over time really well is to actually hire people with military experience because there is that connectivity, right? Sure. You have someone to talk to. Um, you know, my other job, one of the areas I oversee is our facilities team, uh, which is run by retired military, um, ha employees, mm. probably 20 or 30 retired military. Uh, we're also a uh, Yellow Ribbon University. Right, so um, nationally recognized, I think top. I'm going to get the percentage wrong, but we're very high um, in, in in terms of universities in terms of their ranked ability to serve veterans. Um, so we're really proud of that. And I, you know, a lot of that is proximity, um, and a lot of it is just over time the amount of, of military veterans we've actually hired at the institution. Yeah. So I have listeners kind of all over the place, yeah. but I know I have a big core of listeners who are like North Tacomans, ah, and they don't make it out to Parkland very often. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what's happening outside of campus along Garfield Street? Oh, because yeah. like I feel like PLU. So so just for the record, yeah. listeners, like I go speak at the PLU Ed Program uh, every year, or so every other year, and so I go to campus pretty frequently. Uh, can you talk about what's happened in the transformation on Garfield Street and how that's kind of changing campus life for students? Yeah. Well, it's a great point. And people who from around here know, you know, Parkland is um, Parkland Midland. That area is the largest unincorporated area in the state in terms of population. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people out there. It's this really weird combination, quirky combination of urban and rural. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not that far from Spanaway and Yelm. And yet we're closer to, to actually downtown Tacoma. Um, it's a really interesting air, area right along Pacific Avenue, Highway 7. Um, but there's never been a real core Parkland business district. Like a, you can't look and see there's a downtown. So that's one of the things actually the university tried to do a few years ago. So um, we actually partnered with a couple, uh, a couple of different groups and we created uh, a Garfield Commons and a Garfield Station. And these were developments that, that were meant to provide reasonable housing. So we have 104 housing units. Um, and then below that is retail. And so we've seen, you know, restaurants opening up. We've actually kind of created a little restaurant row on Garfield Street, which is really nice. Some of that driven by PLU and, and, and our partners and friends of the university. And now it's kind of happening naturally. So we've got a really cool new coffee shop that's reopened under local ownership that's drawing big crowds and has live music. Um, uh, Marzano's Restaurant, a little plug for Marzano's, one of my favorite places. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, is you know kind of a staple in the community. And now we're seeing some other um, kind of restaurants and, and places happen there. In fact, it was funny just last week, even Magazine in Seattle was down on Pacific Avenue, standing outside a local uh, burger shop, um, which is kind of it's added a bus, right? Mm. A heated bus with seating for for people to come in and sit and enjoy their burgers. And they were so cold and tired of listening to the traffic noise that they showed up on campus and and did all of their interstitials from PLU's campus. So it is kind of a changing community. Um, and then one last thing that I'm real excited about that's coming. Um, uh, this is a this is a plug for local transit. Um, 
uh, you know, that area is underserved. There's not enough um, infrastructure oh, for sure. in Parkland, right? And it's not just roads and sidewalks. It's community services, right? Um, so Pierce Transit has partnered with a bunch of other um, uh, transit authorities and the city and the county. Um, you know, shout out to them. So there is bus rapid transit that is coming from downtown Tacoma to Spanaway. Um, PLU sits at what is the, basically the terminus of what is this bus rapid transit that's going to allow students to get downtown to get to connect to the Tacoma Dome Station in about you know, 20, 30 minutes instead of an hour. That's a big thing. So one of the things PLU is actually kind of quietly working on now is can we take a space that we own out on Pacific Avenue and turn it into a community center? Hmm. So you're, you're kind of hearing um, a little bit of a uh, nobody knows this, right? <laughs> so you're kind of behind the scenes hearing that. Breaking news. Breaking already. news. Breaking news. We're trying to partner with some, um, some local entities, some public entities uh, to bring – to provide space that we have, not for us to make money, but for us to create community. Um, so we're looking for um, this partnership to take off here in the next year or so, in what used to be our East Campus building. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, we typically end the show with a thing we call the five. Mm. And the five are like five frivolous questions about oh, kind of random things. <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw a few at you. Okay. Uh, first off, this is kind of my go-to right now, is what's one thing that everybody listening to this should either read, listen to, or watch? Okay. You want to go first? Oh, you go first. I have such a trashy sense of media. <laughs> I <need> trashy? <laughs> wow. Okay. It, it, read, that's listen. How I, that's my, my self-care after work, right? Read, I respect it. listen to, or watch. Okay. The one thing I think everyone should read, um, because it was so eye-opening for me, and it's kind of this um, you know, innocuous book. It's called Quiet. Um, I'm an outgoing person. I'm really loud, and I can kind of take over a conversation. Um, take over a room. My wife is not. Um, and this book, Quiet, is about introverts. And so if you have students who are quiet and they feel like um, uh, they really struggle to succeed because of that introverted nature, uh, this is a book that will prove to them and give them the confidence to know they're going to take over the earth. It is a really impressive book about what's going on in the mind of the introvert and how they interact with people. Um, it helped me actually understand my relationship with my wife. Hmm. Um, and I think it's a really good book, particularly for extroverts to read. I, I'm thinking of a student in fourth period who I'm going to buy that book for. All right. Awesome. Yours. Uh, Mine's, it, like, not directly answering the question. It's kind of, it's kind of relevant <laughs> to, like, what we're talking about. Um, you can own it. It's okay. Yeah, but I'd say who we need to listen to. Um, angry high school students about who just don't like their high school time mm. um, and hearing why they don't like it and what's needed. Because it's the time of the year where I'm talking to students and they're like, oh, I'm so over high school, right? And and we kind of scoff at it. We giggle at it. But yeah. I think we need to be like, what do you actually what's not like about home, high school? We're over them too. So <laughs> It's mutual. <laughs> yeah. But figuring that out because I, every year high schoolers are getting over it, right? Yeah. And they kind of have this negative attitude toward it. Um, and I think it's just the time of the year. But I'm yeah. like, oh. Gosh, this is repeating itself. Maybe I should maybe I should listen in a bit more to see can can I, can I help out in any way to make sure it's not as bad. Uh, so I know it's not an actual book or story, but I was just out of high school this morning and was having conversations about it. So that's kind of at the top of my head. When the um, mic goes off, I want to hear yeah. the name of the school, and I'm hey, hoping it's oh. not Lincoln. <laughs> uh, next, uh, where's your favorite place on campus? Oh. Wow. I, I, I do walkabouts. I like to get out and walk around campus and just hang, kind of see how people are interacting with the space. Um, this is weird. One of my favorite places on campus is what we call Foss Hill. Foss <laughs> Hill. Because it's the, there's a transition between upper and lower campus that you experience when you're mm. going back and forth. And it's um, it's also kind of dead center. So you can kind of see everything on a good day. You can see the mountain. And I just like to take it all in from that spot. So it's not a 
It's not inside. It's not in a comfortable spot. It's just out on the hill. Mm-hmm. Julian? Um, I would say on upper campus, so we have our red square, and there's kind of this unofficial name called green square. It's this large field right next to it. <laughs> um, and when it's nice out, the hammocks come out, and I also have a hammock. It's usually in my trunk uh, of my car. <laughs> and I like taking either part of my lunch break to go out with some of my coworkers. Um, and we like to hammock and watch, like, our Frisbee team throw the Frisbee. Um, students studying outside because us Northwesters, once you see the sunshine, regardless if it's right. 40 degrees outside, they're going to be out, yeah. right? Sh- Shorts come on. You're like, oh, <laughs> yes, like, exactly. All right, sir. <laughs> but that's, it's, it's kind of the community area, right? It's where we all come mm. together. And, and I like the Northwest because of its nature. So I prefer the green square over the red square. Um, and I just like the hammock and kind of see our community blossom. Okay. And then Julian, this last one is just for you. Oh. Just for you. Uh, what's one piece of advice you would give a high school senior who uh, is trying to navigate the last half of their senior year about finishing strong? And actually, I'm going to add finishing strong and transitioning to college. I have one of those at home, so I'm waiting to hear your answer. <laughs> Ooh, what I would say... And for the record, by the way, while you're thinking about this, uh, just I have alumni come back to my classroom all the time, wow. and it doesn't matter what I'm doing, I stop and I say, um, so their seniors or their freshmen in whatever part of the year you were in, think about what you wish, what you wish you would have known then. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. So, I think so. Hmm, a senior in their last semester, and I'm thinking of the high school that I graduated from and the school districts that I work with. I would hopefully instill them with some kind of pressure and saying, you need to finish strong because these underclassmen are watching you um, and hoping Mm. that you come back to this community and serve it. And you don't want to leave this community and go, quote unquote, off to college, right, with negative rapport, right, because that's who they're going to be in a few years. Um, So you need to set your legacy strong because hopefully when you do come back, and my hope is always to come back and serve your own community, um, that they remember you and are ready for the changes you're about to bring. That's awesome. That's one of my wow. passions. Like, I, I don't want kids to think that they need to get out of the hood. They mm. need to mm. come back to the neighborhood and make the neighborhood a better place. Mm-hmm. And that's like my lactation philosophy. Uh, I want to thank you both for coming on the show today. Uh, if folks want more information about admissions, uh, where should they look on social media about the, the university? Like, where, where should they look? Yeah, so... We're pretty active on our website and also some of our social mediums. Um, Pacific Lutheran has its own Twitter and Instagram and all of that, but also is PLU it at undis- PLU News, right? Yeah. That the- is the Twitter. Yes, um, we also have at PLU underscore admission. If you want to learn specifically about admission dates, programs to visit, all of that. Um, yeah, but follow us. How about plu.edu? Yes. Or, <laughs> or if I can be so bold, you can actually email me, um, prez at plu.edu. Very cool. He does I'll respond. Answer, I he respond does. to everyone. <laughs> I'm trying to live a post-email life right now, yeah, and I'm not succeeding at it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming right, on hey, again. Thank you. Thanks. Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.